text in the Gospels that I've chosen for today, in terms of our Palm Sunday, is the Matthew passage edition, Matthew chapter 21, reading verses 1 through 11. Listen carefully to God's word. Matthew 21, 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what is spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city were stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Our Lord and our King, the King has come. Give us eyes that are open. Give us feet that will follow. In Christ's name, amen. Have you come this morning with faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you just part of the world? Will you follow Christ's 
in terms of the presentation by Matthew, or will you follow the world's understanding of Christ? My question this morning is not taken out of the air. I place it before you in light of our Reformed tradition, specifically John Calvin. And secondly, and more importantly, because of Matthew's narrative about Christ's entrance into Jerusalem on the day that we refer to as Palm Sunday. Besides his famous institutes of the Christian religion, Calvin wrote commentaries on the books of the Bible. When he came to writing his commentaries on the Gospels, he placed the first three books of the New Testament, what we refer to as the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he placed them he placed them under the heading the evangelists the evangelists the harmony of the gospels these three gospels are called the synoptic gospels because they basically present the same stories in the life of Jesus The narrative in these three Gospels is very closely aligned with each other. At the same time, each evangelist, each author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, provides their own narrative of Christ, which incorporates the author's unique thesis, personality, writing style, and life environment into their description of Christ's life. Now, the point I want to highlight from Calvin is this. He sees each author, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as evangelists of the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Each gospel is the proclamation and a defense of the gospel message of redemption in Christ. Every reader of each gospel must respond to the gospel message either by faith resting upon Christ alone for their redemption from sin, or with a heart that refuses to listen, and thus follows the folly of the world's rejection of the Savior who has offered freedom from utter bondage of the flesh. The evangelistic message of Matthew is before you this morning. And hence, let us turn our attention to Christ's entrance into Jerusalem. Once again, there is a mountain of material in these 11 verses. But for our edification, I want to stick to our opening question that I have raised this morning. 
Have you come today with faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you just part of the world? In our text this morning, we have three titles, three titles in reference to our Jesus. Lord, in verse 3. King, in verse 5. And Son of David, in verse 9. Each title has significance for Christ's entrance in Jerusalem, into Jerusalem, as well as Matthew's evangelistic testimony about Christ in the context of his entire gospel. First, let us look at the term Lord, which appears in the narrative upon the lips of Christ himself in verse 3. The context is Christ directing two disciples to retrieve a donkey and her colt in a village by untying them and then bringing them to him. Verses 1 and 2 of our text. Of course, many questions have been asked about this situation, including the questions as to whether Christ was stealing the two animals from its owner, or whether Jesus was only taking the animals as a loan for a short period of time. The Holy Spirit, through the evangelist Matthew, does not address that issue. Why? <laughs> Why? Because the focus of the activities surrounding this event is upon Christ's response, Christ's response to anyone who may ask why the two disciples are untying the animals and taking them. And what are the disciples to say to such an individual? Christ tells them to say the following, the Lord, the Lord has need of them. And he, referring to the person holding the animals, will send them at once, says Christ in verse 3. Christ's words bring into view a heightened, heightened identity of Christ's person as he is about to enter Jerusalem for his final time in his earthly pilgrimage. He uses the term Lord himself, which refers to his sovereign authority and ownership of all things in the creation. In this case, specifically over the animals, which are the prophetic prescription for his entrance into the city of David. Moreover, Christ's authority as Lord will be so recognized that the hearer who witnesses the untying of the donkey and her 
cult will immediately send them to the sovereign authority, the Lord of all things. You see, Christ is the sovereign over all things. He's not stealing like so many commentators spend time trying to answer. Now, in other occasions in Matthew's evangelistic gospel, the term Lord with respect to Jesus is connected with Christ's title, Son of David, which appears also here in our given text in verse 9. In verse 9. The texts and situations that I have in mind are found in the case of Christ healing two blind men. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 31. The casting out of demons in the daughter of, the, of a Canaanite woman, Matthew 15, 21 through 28, in the healing of an additional two blind men in the text just prior, just prior to our text on Christ's entry into Jerusalem, chapter 20, verse 39 through 34, and that text will be important this morning as we proceed eventually. In each of these situations, Christ is recognized as Lord and the Son of David by those seeking his help. All those who witnessed healing, confessed and believed in their heart that Christ is the Lord who has all authority and dominion over the creation, who can make the blind see and cast out demons even in the world of the Gentiles. It is well known, it was well known at this time of Christ in Israel and even among some Gentiles, like the Canaanite woman, that God made a covenant with David in which the restoration, the restoration of David's kingdom would come in the future. Second Samuel 7. Matthew immediately identifies Christ as he opens his gospel as the son of David, fulfilling the Davidic covenant. It is right there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, as well in verse 17 of that first chapter. Indeed, the restoration of David's kingdom includes not only the visible, authoritative ownership of the entire creation, the donkey in her cult for his service, but it also includes Christ's sovereign power over Satan and every human construct 
within the creation. This is, in your Jesus, this is the son of David who is greater than David himself. Well, Christ's identity by Matthew as he enters Jerusalem is not done yet. If David's kingdom is to be restored by his son, and it is a kingdom, then it figures that the one who is coming is king. Verse 5 of our text. Integrated into our text is the third title that identifies Christ's person as king. Matthew presents the title king, Zechariah 9.9, like he did with the title son of David, Psalm 118 verse 25, in the context of prophecy. A strong characteristic of Matthew's evangelistic message and its authentication is that the events in Christ's life are not a coincidence. The events in Christ's life are not a coincidence. Rather, the path of Christ's life here on earth as portrayed in Matthew's gospel, and I do not shy away, as I had never shied away from presenting this to students in my classroom. I will not shy away from this word in this context, in terms of the gospel message. That is, that the path of Christ's life here on earth is dictated, dictated by the prophetic word of God as foreordained before the foundation of the world. The purpose and the plan of the triune God of the Bible is being worked out out according to the providential plan and glory of our creator in the highest, centered in Christ, who comes to save us now, who comes to save us now, is the meaning of the term Hosanna. Hosanna. Who comes. To save us now. So what about this king? What about this king Jesus? Who fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah. What about this king? Verse 5. Whose title in our text focuses our eyes focuses our eyes right between Lord, verse 3, and the Son of David, verse 9. What kind of kingship is this in terms of his entrance into Jerusalem? 
Well, if you are an opponent of Christ, if you are here this morning and just part of the world, there is no king here. There is no king here. For you, no kingship is attained. No kingship is honored in this fanfare. This event, this event is ridiculous. This is foolishness. Where is his government? Where is the kingdom over which he reigns? Where has he ever exercised political power? Where are his political operatives? Surely not those 12 commoners that surround him. They have no political experience among the ruling sects of the Jewish world. And surely they have no political experience in the Roman world. So where is his armies to conquer any rising enemy? After all, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. 2 Samuel 8.14 If he is the king in fulfillment of David's reign and covenant, then we should see a king's house a throne, his political consultants, his personal guards, captains of his armies, his chariots, his wealth, this so-called son of David, this so-called Lord, this so-called king, has no noticeable political stature in the world. He must be a fraud. Well, congregation, as the world goes the direction of the crowd and rejects Christ, They become obsessed with earthly kings and queens, presidents and dictators. As the scripture says, that is where unbelief will place their confidence, their trust, and their hope, only to be repeatedly not satisfied. Let me ask you this morning. Listen carefully. Let me ask you. Do you get more excited on inauguration day If your candidate wins the election, then you do reading and hearing our passage here in Matthew 21, 1 through 11. 
Are you more obsessed with American politics than being completely at peace in your soul with the kingship of Christ being presented in Matthew 21, 1 through 11? Where is your confidence? Where is your trust? Where is your hope this morning? Who or what is the object of your faith at this very hour? O Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, This morning, you know exactly what is at the heart of the Holy Spirit's message in Matthew to you. You have heard it all your life. Christ's kingship here turns the world upside down. Christ is the promised king indeed. His route of kingship is towards Zion. The pathway to his throne is gifted, is gifted with his righteousness and salvation to secure his people, a blessed nation unto himself, his church. He enters the temporal, he enters the earthly, he enters the earthly Jerusalem, not riding upon a decorated chariot, not with a parade of military power, nor the dignities of political power. Christ is not part of the political elite, nor is he encircled with the political elites. No, this king comes with the clear outward persona of Humiliation of humiliation. He rides. He rides upon the lowly creature of a colt, of a donkey draped by the garments of poverty from his disciples. And those who are poor mostly line the streets placing their garments of poverty on the road along with the branches of trees. Verse 8. His kingship, his kingship embodies the purity of what it means concerning humility. Humility. Christ's entrance speaks prophetically to the fact that every prince and princess who have, will, and presently reign on earth, their reign consists of fading riches and glory in this world. Christ's reign of humiliation knows nothing of such fading earthly prestige that dissipates into nothingness. Christ's kingship consists of a unique pathway from humiliation to exaltation. That's his pathway. From humiliation 
to exaltation. Christ's kinship is secured by dying. By dying. In order to sit on his throne, he must die. He is crowned king by ceasing to breathe. Ceasing to breathe. Wait a second. (laughs) Wait a second. This doesn't make sense. How on earth does a dead person reign on a throne? Well, have you not heard Matthew's evangelistic message? On three occasions, three occasions, Matthew has told us that Christ must go to Jerusalem where he will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes who in turn will deliver him to the Gentiles. They will crucify him and he will be resurrected on the third day. Matthew. Matthew maps out profoundly the humble path of Christ's kingship to his death. We are told of the suffering that Christ endures from Pilate. He stands draped in the scarlet robe with the crown of thorns on his head and a reed for a scepter in his right hand. Soldiers abuse him and mockingly hail him as the king of the Jews. Oh, as the world mocks him as a political throne pretender, ironically, Christ's suffering and brutal treatment is establishing his rule, his power, and dominion, not as the world seeks it, but by suffering in his placement on the cross on which he atones for the sins of his people. Of his people. Not as the mocked phrase, king of the Jews. Oh no, but as king who is the holy and blameless sacrifice as the son of of God, in whom his heavenly Father is extremely pleased for his deliverance of a nation who is without spot and blemish, enjoying the peace and the justice of a residence before his glorious throne by virtue of the Father resurrecting, resurrecting by the Holy Spirit, the hallowed, perfect king who walked the earth.
Have you come today with faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you just part of the world? Did you notice? Did you notice that the crowds that lined the streets, those who are in their poverty, put down their garments and cut branches and placed them on the road. Did you notice that they themselves are part of the world? There is no romanticized view of the poor that has infected the modern church as well as the modern political society in Matthew's gospel. No, the most that the crowds will confess, will confess is that Jesus is a prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Verse 11 of your text. And that he is in the lineage of David. Verse 9 of your text. There is no confession by the crowd that he is the Lord and the final king in Israel. Matthew is telling you, the reader, he is telling you that even the crowd present that day surrounding Christ, lining the streets, that crowd needs to be evangelized, needs to be evangelized by the gospel message found in Christ. They needed to. Now in this light, in this light, do not miss the literary structure that is going on here in our text concerning Matthew's organization of his gospel by the Holy Spirit. Don't miss it, congregation. Do not miss Matthew's prior narrative prior to Christ's entrance into Jerusalem. It is the healing of the two blind men. In healing them, notice what Jesus says. It is significant as you go forward through the rest of this gospel. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 33. Let your eyes be opened. And Matthew remarks that immediately, immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Matthew 20, verse 34.
the evangelist's message is now before you. His kingship, by virtue of resurrection, has ascended into the heavenly and eternal Zion. Congregation, are you listening? Are your eyes opened to see where Jesus is going? Are you immediately, are you immediately following him? Meaning, are you following your Jesus from the earthly Zion, the cross, the cross from the earthly Zion to the eternal and heavenly Zion resurrection encompassed with all his glory. Are your eyes seeing your life, your life living presently before him in the glory of Zion? Are your eyes looking upon Christ in Zion, the heavenly Zion right now, and are you following him? You have, have you not, embraced by the gift of faith the King of kings with a spirit-endowed faith. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Christ saves you now. Christ saves you now. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, what a king, what a Lord, what a Savior thou hast raised up greater than David himself as the son of David. He entered. the city of Jerusalem. He entered the very emblem that has killed the prophets. But this prophet, this priest, this king survives. He survives 
because of his righteousness, his holiness, and his perfection. And he rises from the dead by thy power, O God, and reigns forever and ever, a kingdom that will not cease. Give us eyes, hearts, minds, Give us the feet, the legs that follow. Bless us as thy church. In Christ's name, amen.